Hey, we back. Hey, you freezer. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to episode 41 of the Good Night Harlem Show. This is Law. Hey, it's Avia. And y'all know what it is. Um, new music, who this? Oh, so who is this? <laughs> <laughs> we got breaking news, so we're gonna start hyper good nights with breaking Woo. news today. Uh, it's we, a doozy for y'all. <laughs> <laughs> it's a doozy. Don't make me laugh. I'm trying to get into this. I'm trying to get into this. This is really serious business now. So the breaking news just came out that uh, 21 Savage has just been detained by ICE uh, because they're claiming that he is here illegally and he's from the UK. So Avia, let's start Hyper Good Nights with this. <laughs> Hyper Good Nights to 21 Savage being detained by ICE. Because of his illegal status. 21, 21. <laughs> like, how do you even say that in a British accent? Oh. <laughs> Yo, Law and I were literally sitting here five minutes ago. Like, is this real? Right. Is this real, real for play, play? Is this ice, this- ice? Or is this like, I, no one's been talking about me for a minute. So let me just put this out there so that there could be some hype around me. I don't know. He has a new album coming out soon or something. TMZ's reporting on this. Uh, Fox is reporting on this. Like, I don't know how this is possible. I really don't. So in terms of Hyper Good Nights on my behalf, and I know I ask you first, I, I, I don't know how I could say hype or... Okay. <laughs> you don't I'm, know how you could say hyper good night because you don't know what to believe to, right. in order to have an opinion about it. So okay. let's just believe what's actually been written. I'm hyped then. Because <laughs> <laughs> wait... Wait, Why are you so hyped reason? about him getting detained? No, here's the only reason. Because then there's more information to come because I'm confused. I wonder if he has a secret child in East East London somewhere no, that, plays, that play, plays football. That means his <laughs> accent would be fake. Like, I don't know. Yo, like, that, he's, only, he's been here since 2004, according to this. And they're saying that he grew up. He was 14 and, at that time, they said. It's saying that he grew up in Georgia. But I don't know, like, if you if you grew up in the UK from the ages of, four, like, 0 to 14, then you would have an accent. There's no way you don't have an accent. And he does not have an accent. I'm, well, they do say that it is easier for... No, I have it wrong. I was going to say something wrong. It's easier for British people to get an American accent than it is for American people to try to have a British accent. I guess. And, I mean, he was at, like, you know, a young age when he came over. I guess when he came over. Where is his mom? (laughs) The first thing I thought of was, like, I remember watching that Breakfast Club uh, interview, and he was talking about how his childhood was was a certain way. And Now I have to imagine that everything he said in that Breakfast Club interview happened in East London. I feel bad. That throws off my whole narrative of who I thought he was. There's people shooting at their house, like coming up to the door and like So this all happened in East London now? He forgot to add that little snippet. He forgot to add that little part of the story. Now I'm like, who are you, my guy? Did did Amber Rose know anything about this? There's no way she didn't know. I don't even think his manager knew. I don't think anyone knew. No, that she knew. If, if if this is true, she knew. This is a massive piece of information. I'm still trying to wrap my head around it. <laughs> Crikey. No, I don't know. I just went Australian. I don't know what that was. Come on. He can teach you how to get an accent. <laughs> Wait, you know what I want now, musically? I want, like, 
I want him to bring like an Idris Elba sound to his music now. Like I want him to to say some of his verses with a British accent. <laughs> like I feel like his next album is gonna be called Live from UK or something like that. UK Underground Mixtapes Volume Eight. We don't even know if this is true, but we're running with it. Uh, I'm gonna hype this because. I'm thinking they mean like Vanilla Ice. Like, <laughs> Vanilla Ice met him somewhere. I was like, yo, we should watch the Super Bowl, Super Bowl together. I'm going to hold you down. This is insane. This I was telling Lawrence, I was like, this is the best piece of like hip hop news since Drake's baby. <laughs> like, forget that Cardi B and Nicki stuff. Meek Mill, I'm glad you're free. I don't agree on this. I don't agree. I, this is the most intriguing thing. This, this is Meek Mill situation most, was not that intriguing. Actually, this is the most intriguing piece of hip hop news that has been uncovered since Meek addressed the Drake being, you know, having a ghostwriter situation. Because when he said that, everybody's like, "Oh, I don't know what to believe that anymore." That wasn't that intriguing to me because I believe that a lot of artists have people that write for them at some point in their career. No, but it, at that point, everybody's like, "Whoa!" So was this song about that? Or was this about this? And like then everything comes unveiled and then the same thing is happening right now at twenty one. People are questioning everything. No, but look, people people have mentioned Drake having a ghostwriter for some time now. And so for me it's like the intrigue is not there. This situation came out of left field. And when I say left, I mean England. <laughs> Lawrence still doesn't believe that this is true. I don't. <laughs> but I can admit that I don't. No, there's nothing wrong with that. But I just think it's it's it, it's interesting. I'm like, how did you get that East Atlanta accent? They said that his Google search results were how to get an Atlanta accent. And he, like, he, he wanted that. I would have never thought he was from anywhere else. That was a joke, though. When she says they. Oh, yeah, Twitter. Twitter. Like, Sorry, that on. was a joke. That, that. But we don't know if that was a joke because clearly we don't even know where the boy's <laughs> from. We don't even know he's from this country. Okay, so we both hyped it. Trump building walls <laughs> so that he can't get back in. <laughs> we need 21 Savage, though. Free 21 Savage. We should create T-shirts. <laughs> 21, 21. This is the first person I've actually been hype about freeing. Like, that whole free Meek Mill stuff, I'm sorry, but he put himself in a position where he should have been in jail. Um, 21 wow. Savage, all he did, all he's trying to do is just be great and make music in America. He is not hurting anyone. Just let him, just let him stay. All right, Free next 21. up. Next up. The next subject is what happened to Little Bow Wow over this past weekend. Little Bow Wow got into an altercation with his on and off ex. Um, and this happened in Georgia because, as you know, everybody's going to the Super Bowl parties. Um, and during that altercation, it happened at like around 4.15 in the a.m., uh, it got a little physical. Bow Wow ends up with a lot of scratches on his face, uh, two big ones to be exact, and a few gashes here or there. The girl doesn't necessarily have any visible scratches or anything or uh, bruises on her face, but supposedly she's been hit as well. And according to uh, his team, she was the aggressor. And according to reports from police, it sounds like somebody could corroborate the story of her being the aggressor. With all that being said, there has been a lot of responses to Bow Wow being domestically abused. Uh, everything from uh, other rappers to just the general public. And here comes the question to you, Avia. 
hyper good night to men's response to Bawa getting domestically abused because the majority of them were picking on him for the fact that he technically lost to a woman. Um, I, I'm going to make some assumptions just based off of visually seeing his girlfriend being held in custody and him being held in custody. He looked like he got effed up. <laughs> like visually, you can see that there were scratches on his face where his face was probably bleeding. And I don't know what the situation is, but I could see and I can imagine a situation where a girlfriend got upset at him for some reason. They got into a heated exchange and she starts punching him, kicking him, scratching him, whatever she can. And I could see a situation where he may have tried to just restrain her. Now, however that restraining took place, where if someone's wildly active, physically active, there may be things that happen by accident. Um, a fist in the face is not by accident, of course, but it didn't really look, and I'm saying from the neck up, it didn't look like some anything had happened to her. She looked distraught in her picture. I'm not saying that nothing happened to her. Um, as far as men's reactions, I think that anyone who's commenting on this situation hasn't been in a physical fight before with a woman. There are women out there that will throw the first punch or initiate a physical altercation with a man because they know that in our society, it's not okay for a man Facts. to hit back. And they will take advantage of that. And I'm not sure if that was a situation in this case, but I could see that being a possibility. So I'm gonna goodnight the men. Um, I'm going to hope that what I explained the situation as what I see it being, as it seemed like Bow Wow was trying to restrain himself. I hope that was the situation because honestly, Bow Wow doesn't deserve I won't say deserve, but he really doesn't need to have any more of a bad reputation than he already kind of has. So, yeah. What do you think? So, this this dips itself into the toxic masculinity conversation we've had multiple times over. And I also feel like this kind of mirrors the, the D.L. Hughley versus Terry Crews scenario where Terry Crews was being chastised by D.L. Hughley because Terry Crews supposedly has muscles and he should be able to push himself off or get the person away from him that's trying to do something to him um, because God gave him muscles, according to D.L. Hughley, uh, which then was, wasn't, wasn't a good joke to me, wasn't funny to me. It just extended, again, the hyper-masculinity part of it because Terry Crews did push the guy away, did try to get him away. And now uh, what was Terry Crews supposed to do after that? Beat him to death and then potentially be blackballed in Hollywood for the rest of your life? I don't know if that's the right, you know, option to go towards, but uh, I will say this much: as far as Bow Wow is concerned, what would you guys have him do? Like, what was he supposed to do? Right? Was he supposed to like beat her ass? Like, I don't understand. That makes me question these types of guys. Like, what kind of guy are you to even say something like that? Yeah, like what? <laughs> Makes me wonder what you would actually be doing in a situation like so, this. So, Gerbo and his friend, if you don't know who he is, he's from Illinois. He was laughing about it on his IG. And then he was asking his friends, what would you have done? He's like, his friend said, I ought to beat that bitch's ass. I ought to yammed her up. Well, there you and, go. And that cemented further what I assumed would take place. Because a lot of guys hate women. Mm. Or feel as if women in some capacity are inferior because they're not as big as them or because they can talk over a woman and that they think that they're better than women. And that's really sad. 
That's sad. And so with that being said, I am completely unbothered by seeing the photo of Bow Wow looking the way he does and the girl looking the way she does from the extent that I understand why he wouldn't have retaliated in the same way. But I also understand that he probably did do something to her, whether it's a push, punch, whatever, if somebody's trying to be that demonstrative towards you. So I'm good nighting any of the guys that actually responded to this because it's ridiculous at the end of the day. It's absolutely ridiculous. You're only showing yourself by even commenting like that. Like, right. that's crazy. Right. Do better. All right. Next up. There's been a lot in the news around uh, Jesse Smollett. And if you guys don't know who he is, he is one of the leads on Empire. Um, that's a show that's on Fox and it's around, you know, having musical talent and creating an empire from ground up using not only drug money, but the things that are around you. Now, Jesse's one of the main characters and Jesse's been very outspoken about certain political, um, some of his political leanings. All I'm going to say to that is there is now skepticism based on what's happened to him in the past week or so. He was in Chicago, some things transpired late at night, and supposedly two men that had their, I don't even want to say the hat on like a ski mask, but they had mask on, they didn't have a MAGA hat or anything, but they supposedly had bleach, they beat him up, he fought back. Oh, let's not forget that they had noose, a noose ready for him too, and put his his oh, head yeah, through my a fault. noose. Let me. Okay, I'm <laughs> I'm doing that wrong. I'm not. And they did all these things, and essentially, people aren't necessarily believing his story. So I said all that to say, Avia, hyper good night to the skepticism being received by Jesse Smollett for the two white men that attacked him, screaming MAGA country in Chicago. Um, I think the skepticism, ooh, I said it right, came from uh, reports that said that Jesse was not agreeing to provide his phone upon the time that the police asked for it so that they can do more investigation to make sure that he was actually on the phone with his manager at the time that this attack occurred, which is what the story was. Um, So TMZ kind of clarified things and said that Jesse did not want to provide his phone, but he was willing to provide phone records, which is something that he's going to give to the cops. Um, So everyone was wondering, well, if he won't provide his phone, what does he have to hide? Did this really happen? Is providing his phone showing that this didn't happen at all? Because people were wondering, how would anyone know what block he was on when he just landed into Chicago and know to bring a noose and bleach and attack him on that block. Um, It's hard. It's hard because I think we've, as black people, we've been placed in a situation where we're untrusting of cops. And I can understand why someone would not want to produce their phone to a cop who has ties to deleting evidence. I can understand that. I can also understand why people would wonder how this all came about and why he would not, you know, want to give his phone up. But I don't know. I'm a little bit torn. I think I'm going to goodnight the skepticism only because why would Jesse bring this upon himself? I'm just wondering what would be the motivation behind 
him creating this false story that happened to him and knowing that people can find out that it is fake, like what would be the benefit for him to do that? He's at the top of his career. He's on a hit show. I don't understand what point he would be trying to make by creating this this story. Um, some people are saying that, you know, there's cameras everywhere in Chicago and the fact that they can't find these men, they have blurry visions of two men walking down the street. As That's as far as they've gotten into the investigation, but no faces, no anything. I'm just wondering if you're gonna be skeptic, a skeptic about a situation, I would like you to also provide me with a reason with why you think that this would happen. Cause I can tell someone, I don't think this happened because, but to say, oh, I don't think this happened. I think he's making the, this up. The, why? So what is that reason? If you can't provide me with that, then why are you questioning it? And so I'm a good night. Good night it for now. All right. Next up. What about you? Um, I, I'm going to be honest. As far as the skepticism that's received, I think uh, a part of it is because people don't want to necessarily believe that, one, people go this far with, you know, not only cameras around, but that people will go this far when it's a celebrity involved. And that's where I'm like, we saw what happened with Kim K. It doesn't matter if it's a celebrity involved. Mm -hmm. None of that stuff means anything. Um, If it's an easy way to you, then people will use it. So uh, as far as skepticism is concerned, uh, I could night anybody that is being skeptical of it and let it happen the way it is going to happen. But to be skeptical and act like it's not real, I think it says a lot about somebody's character. That's all I'm saying. I mean, things happen to celebrities all the time. You can look at Bling Ring and see that teenage kids went into stars' homes and stole hundreds of thousands of things from them like so it's no one's immune to any sort of treatment so that's just weird to think that this wouldn't happen to this person all right the final one i'm gonna let you get into this more than i will all right b simone b smith b B smith sorry (laughs) i called her b simone sorry about that b B simone Simone is a person too right yeah she's a but she's an ig yeah um so b smith right b smith is a restaurateur um, famous for her restaurant in New York, B. Smith. Uh, I think she had a branch in Atlanta. Uh, she She's a black restaurateur, I should say that, and someone who has been a famous uh, entrepreneur in the industry. She actually had to close down her restaurant about five years ago due to um, being diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And um, since then, We haven't heard a peep or heard a word about what's been going on in her life, but recently a video emerged, I think it was on USA Today or Dr. Oz, one of those shows, where B. Smith's husband, Dan Gatsby, shows a day in the life of him caring for his wife that he's had for 26 years. And he talks about how tough things have been on him emotionally, seeing the person that he once loved and be that person becoming a shell of herself and having to deal with that emotionally. Um, Another thing that he touches on is his living girlfriend. So over the past year or so, he's been dating this woman of a white complexion. um, And she also helps him take care of B. Smith on day-to-day things. She has her own room in the um, home that they share. And there was all this backlash for this video 
People were saying, how dare he cheat on his wife with this woman? How dare he even expose the type of living situation that they have? Like, what kind of person is he? And so I want to know, hyper good night to you. Um, hyper good night to B. Smith's husband exposing their living situation and cheating, as people would say, on his wife. I want to I wanna go. So um, I'm going to actually good night this whole situation. Um, actually, I'm going to go back on that. I'll, I'll, I'll hype this. Because I, I was torn at first. You're going to hype. I don't want to hype Nida. I don't want to hype Nida because I don't want to be in between. You're going to hype the backlash against him. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, ultimately, you know you're no longer with the person that you were with. You know. Everybody knows. At that point, the next step is to, you know, be there by their side as much as you can and make sure that you're able to actually pick up the pieces when that person is gone. Now, if you've allowed that process to start even earlier, more power to you. Great. Who am I to say that that's wrong? Um, and ultimately, I think for B. Smith's sake, she has to look at this as, if she could look at this as anything because she's no longer herself, she has to look at this as, oh, at least he'll be happy. And that's more crucial to me than anything else. So are you hyping the fact that he's in a, another relationship at the I'm hyping the I'm, I'm, I'm hyping him going against the grain and not giving a shit about what those, you know, the Twitter sphere says. Um, I don't know. I just, I also want to hype the fact that he in general is doing what's right for him long term next step. I don't want him, anybody to be faulted for that because I would personally want my partner to be able to move on and go into something else successful without me. But that's me. But would you want your partner to do that while they're still with you? Yeah, perfectly fine with me. Okay. Um, I'm going to say I'm going to goodnight this. Why? Um, I feel like at the point where you're making a decision for someone that they can't make for themselves that affects the way that people look at them, that's what I don't agree with. And unfortunately, she, B. Smith is in a position where she can't make that decision for herself to expose her lifestyle or to show people this is how she's living, to show people what she goes through. She's not at the mental capacity to do that. So for him to make the decision to show a day in the life of Dan Gatsby, the person that no one has ever spoken about before, like no one ever talked about B. Smith's husband before, to show day in the life of him and how he lives with the shell of a person that he still loves and how he also lives with his living girlfriend who helps take care of B. Smith and is so caring and positive and they're like the best of friends. I don't think that that's fair to B. Smith to show her in that way. And for the people that actually know them personally, I can say from what I've seen, um, other celebrities that have known, known B. Smith personally, they didn't like seeing her in that way. They didn't like seeing her in that capacity of her having the disease, which is something that can't be escaped, but then also knowing her living situation. And I think that that's not fair for him to make that decision for her. I don't know what his gain was out of it. I don't, I don't know if he got some sort of peace of mind from it. I don't know if he felt guilty from it before and now he feels better about it, you know, exposing his life and what he goes through. But while I appreciate the fact that he is taking care of her and he has aligned himself with someone else who uh, 
is helping to take care of her, I necessarily don't agree with him exposing their living situation. I don't know what that does for anyone. Ultimately, again, it's about him in the next stages of his life. It's no longer just B. About Smith her. is still alive. I know. So we I can't. Love how you don't think I know that? I know you know that, but we we can't talk about someone like they're not still here now. No, she is not herself. She is not fully herself. But he made a decision to show. Look, this is what I go through with her, and this is what I go through with her while having a relationship with someone that lives with us while we are married. And I think that that is wrong. That is not fair to her. You're doing something for the next chapter of your life. Great, do that. But don't drag her name through the mud in the process. And I feel like that's what it's done. She had a legacy. And now her legacy is topped by this video where it's like, wow, that's wild. It's a crazy situation to be, be in and it's hard to understand. But now this is the last thought we have of her and I don't agree with that. All right, well, we agree to disagree. All right, next up, we're getting back into the regular, uh, regularly scheduled program. And the next thing we're going to talk about is... Black Card Revolt. Oh, she hasn't done that in a We while. haven't done this segment in like Woo. four episodes. Woo. And today's Black Card Revolt is Lawrence. And he will be telling us the thing that makes him stereotypically not black. So go ahead. Can't wait. All right, so... <laughs> I think my next two black car revokes, I'm going to do music and then I'm going to switch back to food because I have a lot of these written down. So He's like, I have a lot of reasons not to not be considered yeah, black. Yeah. <laughs> Perfectly fine with this. Um, so this one's going to sting a little, even as I talk about it, because I recognize how people view said person. And I also recognize how I've always viewed said person. So it's fine that I'm going to say this in my mind, but I know how this affects other people. Um... I'm saying all this to kind of code exactly who I'm talking about. So this person is universally recognized as one of the best at what he's done ever. This person is universally recognized as one of the most impactful at what he's done ever. There has been classes dedicated to this person based on their job. And this person is Tupac Shakur. Oh, God. <laughs> My black card revoked today is to say, I do not believe Tupac Shakur is on the Mount Rushmore of rap. He is not in my top four. He is nowhere in probably my top five, to be blatantly honest. People put him up there, but he's a great poet. He is, for me personally, not a great rapper. I do not believe he could rap to anything. I do believe that he could potentially poet poet his ass off and write some bs he was not very good at creating very many analogies he's just not that dude he was not a very skilled rapper but he was an okay actor so i, I okay yeah oh, okay okay at best to be blatantly honest i mean I don't like shitting on the dead, so I'm not going to even do a comparison. <laughs> I don't like shitting on the dead after I just shat on the dead. No, no. Because <laughs> you I were okay at, you were mediocre at best. Mediocre <laughs> at best. Oh, 21 you, Savage Yeah, you voice. sound like 21 right now when he goes 21, back 21. home. <laughs> um, and so I know how people feel about Tupac, though. And I've never, ever felt that way about him. There are certain songs that I've gravitated towards that he's created, but... 
as a collective, I've never viewed him as a great rapper. I've never viewed him as a great artist. Um, is he somebody that busts his ass in, in terms of art? Yeah. Is he somebody that could occasionally talk about something that was topical and get the least common denominator? And I mean the, the general audience of hip-hop, not the necessarily hip-hop heads, but the general audience of hip-hop to pay attention? Absolutely. I give him all of that. Did he appeal to women? Yeah. Did he appeal to guys? Yeah. He checks all the boxes in terms of what you would need to be to be a celebrity. But his antics never jive with me. I always viewed him as a little too much and a little too overbearing, a little obnoxious. That's me. I'm entitled to have that opinion of him. Um, I've also never, I, I've, I've never viewed him as this like genius savant or that he was saying something that was so beyond the perils and everybody should be like, oh my God, he's so much better than everybody else. I'm like, no, he's doing boilerplate things and they're acting like he was some revolution. Like, no, he's not that. And he was contradictory. All The majority of what he was doing was contradictory. Um, and if he lived today, a lot of that within PC culture just would not rock. He's basically like a mixture between Takashi and his emotions. And I can't believe I can make that comparison, but legit, in the way that he held himself, he would be Takashi in that way. And in terms of the way that he actually constructed and went about rapping, he's more in line with Wale than he is Nas. Um, and then finally, it just, me being honest, he really didn't do anything that wasn't, I don't know, different. Like what was, what did he do that solidified him as so much different than everybody else during his time? Who, uh, who is, was Biggie part of your top whatever list? Yeah. As far as rap is concerned. Yeah. Oh, why, yeah. why is that? Biggie actually could switch flows way better. Biggie could actually use analogies. Biggie could be a punchline rapper. Biggie could actually battle. Like, Tupac wasn't that. And if anybody says he was, I'm like, that's no. No. That's not. So in order for for someone to be a good rapper in your eyes, they have to check off all those boxes? Yeah, you have to be able to fit into those modes. You have to battle rap. You have to have punchlines. You have to switch your flow. You have to be able to do any of that stuff and do it well. Like when I heard Hit Him Up, I was like, what the fuck is this? Like I literally went, what the fuck is this? And people were like, oh, that's one of the best diss tracks of all time. And I was like, no, it's not. If this is what people view as a diss track, I'm like, nah. I don't agree that Tupac is more Wale than Nas, because Nas is very much a storyteller. Cool. What about it? Um, I don't know. I just think that that's interesting. I think, for me, Tupac gets, like, best all around. Uh, I feel like he's a great rapper, a great storyteller. I feel like he isn't a, a great actor. I could see a lot of potential for him from what I've seen, but who knows how far he could have gone. And I think that he was very political, which is some, a, a topic that a lot of rappers do not touch. And I think that that's something that, for me, kind of sets the bar a little higher for how I judge a rapper as a whole. Because when I think of a celebrity, I, I, I want to be able to judge you on who I think you to be through the medium that, that you present yourself in, rap, acting, whatever it is. But who are you as a person outside of that? And I feel like outside of rapping, Tupac 
was a very political person. And I, I wonder how things would be now being, having the angst that he did and having the willingness to speak up about things. Like, I wonder where he would be right now if he was still, still alive. I don't think that that's something that Biggie would even touch personally. Um, I don't think that a lot of rappers would touch the topics that Tupac touched on because. Oh, you mean like Kendrick doesn't touch politics? You mean J. No, Cole he, doesn't touch politics? But you you have mean to, Most Duff doesn't touch politics? To, you mean Talib Kali doesn't do that? Look at the people Kamen that you're naming. Do that. Kanye West doesn't do look, that. Look Jay Z doesn't do that. Look at the people. There's so many people that no, do but that, but the, they do it better than look he at, did. Look at the people that you're naming. You're naming people that have, have not had run ins with the law. Jay Z didn't? Jay Z barely ta- talks politics. Wait a second. Jay Z didn't. Have a run in with the law. He barely talks politics the way Tupac does. He does talk politics. Though. He talks about the cops. And then Nas also definitely the talks about Jay-Z politics. The most Jay-Z has talked about politics is through the Khalif Browder story. And that was in a very indirect way. Um, okay. J. Cole, no. Oh, he doesn't talk politics? No, he's never had trouble with the law the way that Tupac did. So what if he... What is... Wait, what does that have to do with anything, though? Tupac that, had a lot of trouble with the law. Which because is, he was being an asshole. Can I finish my sentence? Because he's can, being an asshole. How are you going to ask me a question? Okay, then? go for it. And it's, Listen, I'm not, even, I'm not even mad at you for having your opinion, so why are you getting all hyped up? I'm, like, an asshole. I'm saying he, he got in trouble with the law, and like you're, you're saying says, on your, you have a whole plaque that says zero fucks given, and a person who, who is the epitome of that plaque is like, nah, nah, I can't, no. He was an asshole. He did this. He did that. Like, for him to be in the position that he was, it would serve him better to not be so political as he was because he was in trouble with the law so much. So I actually appreciated that even more. Um, you're entitled to your opinion. I have, yeah. no, I have no qualms with it whatsoever. Thank you. But I'm sure a lot of people will. Yep, and very good to them. You know how I feel about that. I didn't say he was a bad rapper. I didn't say he's. You don't a trash see the rapper. hype over him. I don't I, see the I hype. I never said that either. Oh. I didn't say that. I, I I said I. He's not in my Mount Rushmore. He's not in my top four. Probably not in my top five. I feel that when it comes to people that uh, lose their lives at an early age, um, a lot of people they they they. They look at them at in a certain light. Like once they die, it's like this person was like. It's the, revisionist history, is what it is. Well, I mean, they put them on this pedestal. Like a, a lot of people have put XX Tentacion on this crazy pedestal that I don't think that he deserves, and that's my opinion. That's cool. But all of a sudden, even you, you love XX Tentacion, but I'm just like, he's all right. Like he's there's nothing wrong with his music. He's great, but I think that to what you're saying. People put Tupac on this pedestal because his life was cut short and they can imagine the potential of what he would have been right now and that's what they base everything on. So I can understand you saying what you're saying. You're just keeping it real. For for what he was while he was on this earth, this is what you felt about him. I can only live in my own truths. People, I, people I hear that. that. All right, next up is our actual main topic for today. And it's not uh, R. Kelly. Aren't you glad? I am too. <laughs> I had some people I'm like look just skip last episode if You don't want to hear anything else about R. Kelly Because this will be the, probably the last time we talk about him Until something else happens oh, I'm trying not to talk about him <laughs> if, if at all Ever <laughs> Alright um, BuzzFeed did an article Around how millennials Have become 
the burnout generation. And this conversation is big because this is something that we as millennials have yet to, as a collective, talk about. Um, We haven't really addressed it as much. But what BuzzFeed and their contributors were trying to do was put together a holistic view of what burnout culture is, what burnout actually means, and how the way that we were raised, the, the way in which capitalism and patriarchy is set up, all of these things weigh on us when it comes down to everyday life that we live and why we, as this generation, are feeling burned out. They start the article by specifically talking about the kind of day-to-day things that are hard for millennials to do. Like just achieving a general checklist of mundane tasks that, you know, your parents would have done with ease. Whether that be uh, laundry, um, you know, picking up something from the store really quickly, whatever those small tasks are, cleaning out this drawer or that desk or whatever, it's something that we tend to push off. But the reason why they were bringing these things up, and I'm gonna go go down like a large rabbit hole with that eventually, uh, was more in line with the thought of, and I'm just gonna read this directly from them, we as the millennial generation have been told our entire lives how things would be. Um, We have been told that we would have a better life than our parents. And that's what's been happening generation after generation after generation. Except this time, when it comes down to millennials entering adulthood, that prognosis has been proven to be false. Financially speaking, most of us lag far behind where our parents were when they were our age. We have far less saved, far less equity, far less stability, and far, far more student debt. The quote-unquote greatest generation had the Great Depression. And that was in the 20s and 30s. And then the GI Bill. The boomers, somewhere between the 50s and 60s had the golden age of capitalism. Gen X, which is kind of like my mom's generation-ish, had deregulation and trickle-down economics. But then where does that leave millennials? Uh, We've got, you know, venture capitalists, but we've also got the 2008 financial crisis, the decline of the middle class, and the rise of the 1%, which has created a steady decay of unions, the stability that our parents grew up around, and kind of the the killer, the full time employment that we all have to have, which not which not which does not necessarily mean having just a forty hour job. It means having multiple jobs to secure a forty hours that our parents would have had in a general forty. One of the things that this girl kind of calls out, who's constructed the full article, she said. She goes on to say in grad school. She learned to work like a millennial, which is to say all the time. Her new watchword was everything that's good is bad. Everything that's bad is good. Things that should have felt good, like leisure, not working, felt bad because I felt guilty for not working. Things that should have felt bad, working all the time, felt good because I was doing what I thought I should and needed to be doing in order to succeed. 
Now, I want to start the conversation there before we get into any of the other details, because I think this strikes into what happens with a lot of us as millennials. We have been told over and over again, you know, things will be better for us and we're going to have the, all these things and blah, 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 blah. And then once we got into it, the collapse of a lot of things that happened when our parents were growing up, like you can't now have a high school education, go directly into the workforce and expect to make fifty to $70,000 a year straight away and stay in that job for 25 years, which is also what that girl points out. And then also expect to get a pension after that. There's a level of security and stability that that generation had that we never had. And I think that kind of thing needs to be addressed because that plays into our mentality because we all, based on even what she's saying in here, when they've done the polling, we all kind of feel like we're behind. All of us. I'm not going to act like I don't feel like I'm behind. I know based on where I'm from and how people feel about things, you should have already been married by the time you're like 25. You should already owned a house by the time you were like, I don't know, 27. And you should have probably had a car by the time you were 27. Should have had a car, a house, and been married and probably had a child by the time you were like 28 and 30. How do you not have these things by the time you're 30? And I think those kind of unrealistic expectations that were set in the time that allowed for people that weren't as educated to progress or have a level of stability that now is not possible, those things need to be reevaluated. Which creates these false sense of, I need to be doing more, I need to be doing more, and how can I be doing more? And I don't know why we do that to ourselves. I don't know if where you're from, it's different, because being from the Midwest, I feel a lot of that. I don't know how... Like, well, I mean, like, you know, I'm originally from the Midwest, but... um. As far as California goes, yeah, most people that I know, if, if I look at all my Facebook friends on, I mean, my high school friends on Facebook, I didn't even have to go to my high school reunion because I already knew what they did in their lives for the past 10 years after we graduated. I know that some of them have gotten divorced twice. I know that some of them have a couple kids. I know that some of them have just gotten married. So it's like, these are things that are considered accomplishments as adults. These are things right. that are the things that are expected of us to do as adults because this is what has been considered adulthood in America. Um, do you at all feel like you're behind in any capacity? You know what? I there was there there have been moments in time where I felt like I was behind, like the owning oh. a house situation. I never felt like I was behind when it came to relationships and when it came to kids because. Personally, I don't want kids right now, so right. I'm not going to feel behind on something that yes. I don't want to have in my life right now. Um, as far as uh, relationships, and this could tie into why our generation is the way that, that it is right now, a lot of people are getting married a lot later in our generation. Fact. And because of that, that trickles down into how we live our lives. When you have um, two combined incomes it's a lot easier to get a house. How many of your friends have one income and have a house? I'm sure there's not that many. Um, when you have combined incomes, a lot of things are just a lot easier to do. Um, and because we're getting married at a later age, we don't have the, the leeway to do some of these things. And the other times that I felt behind um, 
was really when it came to owning a house, I think. And I kind of had to put things into perspective and say, you know what? How many people in New York actually own houses? There's a lot more people renting in New York than owning homes. There's people older than me that have never owned any piece of property. And there's a lot of people that own homes that are our age that don't live in New York. But if we lived where they lived, we could own a home too because of how much it costs. Facts. You know what I'm saying? Facts. So when I put things into perspective like that, I'm That's like... exactly... I'm like, okay, I don't feel so bad because if I lived in Bumblefuck here or if I move <laughs> to um, Nebraska or if I move to Atlanta even, I could own a home too, like XYZ person. But because I don't live there, this is what my reality is. If XYZ person moved to New York, would they be able to own a home? I don't think so. So I think we, gotta, we have to put things into perspective and I think that living in New York can skew your idea of what it really is because I feel like every other place in America um, besides New York and besides San Francisco the cost of living is a lot cheaper ridiculous so you can do a lot more things with your money Facts. so when you live in a place like New York or San Francisco you're not going to live the way that someone in South Side Chicago lives Right. Property is way cheaper in Chicago. I get I get email listings sent to me of like um, properties in Chicago because I'm like if I if I do want to own a home somewhere I I'm yeah. considering that I'm like man this actually seems seems attainable, attainable. <laughs> you know right. which is sad it's sad right. to even think that way but living in a place that has a high cost of living that is just like skyrocketed, skyrocketed well above what our peers pay for right. where they live, it has us thinking that we'll never be able to do certain things that we feel like we should have done a long time ago. But you have to really put things into perspective. I think watch, watching um, House Hunters International puts things into perspective for me because I'm like, wow, okay, in this country, in a, is it, was it Singapore or Hong Kong? One of those countries. A little bit more expensive than New York, if you can even imagine. And it's just like you barely get anything for your money. But in the woods of France, like two hours outside of Paris, I could probably own a castle if I wanted to. So it's just like you really just have to put things into perspective based off of where you live and what your cost of living is. So I want to add a couple of things to this. So when I think about millennials in general and me being one and my thoughts around everything from, you know, marriage to uh just general long-term goals that the adults before me had like owning a home having you know two and a half kids that kind of thing two and a half yeah, that's <laughs> oh one's a dog. a dog okay yeah 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 <laughs> i start to look at statistics because you know i'm a statistical person and i start to realize like our generation is doing it in my opinion in a better way in certain levels in a lot better way and i think we've kind of smartened up and we know a lot of the things that we were fed growing up with just bullshit so like the the average age of marriage has increased like in the 1960s people would get married i think women got married at between the ages of 21 to like 23 and now the average of the the average age of millennials and their first marriage for women are between the ages of 27 to 29 and a lot of that's in the middle America. Which means that the age range is even higher in, in um, major cities. 
Right. And this also means that there's other statistics that prove out that women who have higher education weren't really marrying as much in the old days. Now, these women are marrying, but again, later. at later ages. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the thing that I think that's even more crazy is that kind of marriage rates in general have declined across the board. They've been declining steadily because of our generation. Mm-hmm. And the reason why that's happening is because we're not just jumping into marriage. In fact, we're doing something that other generations didn't do. We're living with people beforehand and that is what will determine whether or not we ever get married. Like, there are statistics that prove that a lot of millennials uh, actually live together before they're married. And that that dictates what happens at the next level. Like, oh, okay, we can actually work th- through this. And let's, let's do this. This isn't that big of a leap. We're already feel, it already feels like we're married. That's us actually creating like a a sustainable relationship versus just trying to figure it out after getting married which is key but again the burden and the thought of where we're supposed to be versus where we're at is two different things because there are still people that believe that they should be falling within those kind of set standards that were created by god knows who and where and when and why and I don't care about any of that shit. Ultimately, the only thing that I give a shit about is how am I going to live my best life every day? And if I have a significant other, how is that person doing the same thing? And if I have family members, how can I help to impact them in any way? And I cannot worry about outside people saying, oh, well, how come you're not this yet? Or why aren't you doing this? Or I don't live my life for you. But I'm sure there's a lot of things that you've done in your life that they never have because of their lifestyle being different from yours and not having those opportunities you know what i'm saying um the the idea of you have to go to college and you have to meet the person of your dreams and get married to them and procreate and stay at your company for 20 years is just old-fashioned it's super old-fashioned i think our generation is the one generation that who has moved around in places in their career a lot more than you know the past generations have and i think that that can tie into how we handle things as well in our personal life um also i i don't think that our parents generation has the amount of student loan debt that we do hell no they by by any stretch of the imagination because a lot of our parents didn't even go to college (laughs) like that's a whole so, other thing. So it's like you're already you're are at 22. I may have thousands of dollars of debt, and my mom may may have had zero because of whatever her situation was. You know, so we're not even starting off on the same plane to even compare ourselves, and that's where we have to just make sure that things are not skewed. Like if you're gonna compare something, compare apples and apples. What we're doing by comparing ourselves to past generations are comparing apples to oranges. We don't live in the same era that our parents did. Now, if we lived in the same era that they did and we're still doing things differently, then I think that that's where the comparison can come into play. But there's so many things right now that factor into the whole burnout situation, social media, um, just 
the fact that everyone has getting a bachelor's degree is like common. It's not like anything special at this point. Whereas while we were growing up, maybe that may have been an extra thing that helps someone get a higher salary at their job. Now it's like master's degrees. Now it's PhDs and all these other degrees that you have to get to to make yourself be be um, looked at or considered for jobs. Like so we just don't live in the same era and that affects everything. So I think one of the, the stats that kind of blew me away about kind of the, the whole loans and all this stuff. And again, this gets back to this adds more layers to your life and things that you have to think about, mm-hmm. which creates again, the burnout culture. It was basically the stat around 62% of millennials owe more in debt overall than they have in personal savings. Only about a quarter, 24%, have more money in their savings account than they owe in debt. Mm. 49% of African-American millennials have student loan debt more than any other racial subgroup. You said 49% of African-American African-American millennials. I don't know how else to stress this, but we've been sold a fallacy. We've been sold a big crock of bullshit when it comes down to what was supposed to happen after we got out of school, especially when the financial crisis took place and everything else. That girl in that story points that out easily, easily. Like we we thought that we would get like at least decent paying jobs out of school. When I got out of school, and I can say this now, understanding where I'm at now, I was in Michigan and I was making less than $25,000 a year getting out of school. I made more money at Taco Bell than I did at my corporate job. Which means you probably didn't have to go to school anyway. Like, what is that? Based off of those stats. Like, what? (laughs) So then, even if I was going to try to cover debt, like if I would have had any, how would I... What? Like, what, what happens then? And then that puts a level of stress on you because then you're still living paycheck to paycheck. You did all of this to get out of school. And now you're supposed to have this job, which I'm going to get to that too about where she points that out in the story. You're supposed to have this job that's so good. It's so much better than what you were doing before. And it's supposed to be so much more fulfilling because this is what you wanted to do. And you're supposed to actually be able to live a standard, decent lifestyle, which is not true. It was not true for me at all. Like when you got out of school... Did you, did your first job, did you make at least enough money, not only to cover bills, but you felt like you were comfortable? Or did you have Um, to get like a second situation too? Well, when I, my first job, I had a, I had a few jobs. Um, My first job outside of college was Nordstrom. That was during the summer, that was, that was during the summer that I graduated. Like after I graduated, I went back home and I worked at Nordstrom and then, honestly, the first thing I did was I got an internship at uh, with a fashion designer in New York, and that's what brought me to New York. And that internship was unpaid; it only was stipend to pay for your lunch for that day. And I had to get—I actually got two jobs while during that time. So um, I had to work my way up to getting like a full-time job at a company with benefits and 401k and all that stuff. And that didn't happen until a couple of years after college. Um, I think that going to college, for me, I can say that 
I, ex- I appreciate my college experience, but going to college because I do have student loans puts a certain amount of pressure on me to make sure that I make it. Like, <laughs> you know, like most people don't even do the job that they went to school for. The, I I being one of them. The girl talked about that in the article. Right. And so it's like when you go to school and you spend this money on this degree that you're supposed to utilize in the job afterwards, and then maybe you dabble in that job for a little bit and you realize this is not what I want to do. You try something else and then you're like, I'm still paying for the education I got for the occupation I no longer want to, want to have. Whew. Bars. Oh, Jesus. I had a, I had my economics teacher in high school had a chip on his shoulder and you could just tell. And he would tell us often, he was like, I went to law school. I was supposed to be a lawyer. Why would you, why are you telling us that? But like, then, that's what you gotta, but, bro. But then he, but then he would tell us like, I, I wanted to be a lawyer. I went to, I went to law school. I took the bar exam three times, I think he said. And he became a lawyer and he realized that's not what he wanted. But guess how much debt he put himself in during that time that he thought he wanted to be a lawyer? Because law school is by... Probably 100, and, 100 to 150 grand. And do you think a teacher's salary was covering any of that? No, but they will pay back your loans if you're a tenured teacher. So he has to get at least 10 years. But that didn't start, that didn't start till when? This was back in high school. I don't know. So that 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 law didn't start until in the last I think six years I think, um, so I don't know what he's doing now. But like the chip on his shoulder was from spending those hundreds of thousands of dollars to go to school for something that he wasn't even doing in his day to day life, and I think that a lot of people go through that. So now you're at this point where you're just like, I really have to make it because if I'm gonna be doing what I want to do or figuring figuring out what I want to do, I still have this debt that I have to cover to pay for me to do what I'm doing now. Like, so it's just finding that balance of finding what you love to do. And then if you have that debt for the degree that you got, that you didn't fulfill, paying that off. It's just, they they don't align with each other well. And that's where I think the stress comes in. So one of the things that the girl in the article was talking about was that she had went to go be a college professor for a little bit. And one of her observations as a college professor was that she got to be around these students and she saw that students were convinced that their first job out of college kind of would not only determine their career trajectory, but also their intrinsic value for the rest of their lives. Uh, She had told one of the students who's had dozens of internships and fellow applications um, with no results that she should move somewhere fun get any job and figure out what interests her and what kind of work she doesn't want to do like figure out what you don't want to do first and then go all in on a job but the girl responded with but what 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 do I tell my parents and then she says I want a cool job something I'm passionate about and she, she then talks about how those expectations encapsulate the millennial rearing project in which students internalize the need to find employment that reflects well on their parents, family, and general, the how the public will view it. So 
a job to them has to be steady, decently paying, recognizably recognizable as a good job. That's also impressive to their peers at a cool company and fulfills what they've been told has been the end goal of all this childhood optimization shit. Doing work that you're passionate about, whether that job is a professional sports player or a Patagonia social media manager, programmer, a law partner, whatever. It has to check all these boxes. I love that part of the article because she goes from there and the girl basically just says, do you know what the fuck I did out of school? Like she's like, I fucked around and did three or four jobs that were just barely making me money because there wasn't any jobs to have, which is real life. And I found myself in that and went, oh, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. I want to go do this. And they now are under the impression that everything has to be perfect because of how they've been raised. None of this shit is perfect. None of this shit is working out the way that it's what we've been told. And then once you actually get into a job, whether or not you like it or not, no long, that doesn't matter. It is, I have to fulfill whatever it is that I'm doing in this job to make sure that not only do my ends meet, but I'm keeping up with what I stated that I would do. Not only for my family, but to my peers and everyone else. And I'll make this work. People don't want to look, be looked at as failures. And especially if they went to school for a certain amount of time, there's more expectations of you to succeed. So I feel like the longer you went to school, the more people expect for you to be like so high up on the economics ladder. You know, like if you have a, if you have a PhD, then you should be making X amount of money and you should be doing this. Oh, you have a bachelor bachelor's? Okay, well, that's standard. Everyone pretty much has that. So I don't feel like there's a lot of expectation behind it, but um how do you how do you not how do you turn that off though because I, I at one point i was dating someone that um you know had a bunch of degrees right and i'm not gonna say what level but at, at max level degrees and that person was a little distraught and or bewildered by the fact that i income wise made more money than them and not by a little, but by a lot. So then her self-worth took a, a hit. Because it was, well, I did all this schooling. I did all of these things. And we're not on the same level and nowhere near it. How is that possible? And I, I don't know. I don't have an answer for that. Because then that weighs on you too. Did, did she live in New York City? No. Maybe where she's from had an impact on how many opportunities were presented to her in order for her to move up in a certain way. I feel like everything, like everything has to be looked at from a, like a regular standard perspective. Like we can sit here and compare ourselves to other people day and night. Like, oh, well, we came from the same. That's like saying like, oh, we went to the same school. How come you're famous and I'm not? Like well, people do it all the time. They do it all the time. I mean, like the first the first time I even thought about that was when I went to Howard. And when I went to Howard, um, there were African princes that were there. There were people that were part of Jack and Jill. I had never heard of Jack and Jill in my life, which is where they do like the debutantes and like this like black elite um, organization. And you know, your parents have to have a certain amount of money. And these kids will talk about Jack and Jill this, Jack and Jill that. I'm like, I've never even heard of that. I don't even think where I live, they even had a Jack and Jill organization. But we had kids 
that had parents that could barely make ends meet at Howard. You had kids whose parents paid 25K a year for the high school that they went to that went to Howard, but we were all in the same place. Right. So that to me showed me the perspective of we don't even have to start off in the same place to end up in the same place. Like you went to this high school that your parents were paying 25K a year and you're sitting right next to me in class and my high school is free. So just because you started off on a certain road doesn't mean that you are bound to end up on a certain level. And I think that people put a lot of weight on degrees. I also think that <laughs> I also think that people when when the whole financial crisis hit, a lot of people went to go get their master's degree because they thought that by the time they got out of school in the next couple years, yeah. there would be more jobs available. Yeah. And all of a sudden they were overqualified to get certain jobs. So they actually accidentally put themselves in a position that was detrimental to them moving up in society. Where technically they got more debt and then with less options of Exactly. Job exactly. And they money. thought they were doing the right thing. No one could ever tell that that was going to happen. You know? Well, yeah, I, I agree with you to a certain extent. I don't think ever having a master's degree can be looked at as a detriment, but I'll say this much. Um, if people won't hire you because you're overqualified, well, well, then that could be a detriment. Well, I'll say this much, though. Financially, it's a detriment unless you got scholarship. And that puts you in a deeper hole, which mm -hmm. then creates more of the kind of burnout because then you feel like you have to do more to get that mm -hmm. way. You're playing a game of catch up. That's Always. really what it is. Always. And I don't... I don't know how you get around any of that stuff. I really don't. I don't, I don't have the answers for that. Um, but that goes to the larger conversation around when you're at work, what does being burnt out mean to you? And based on the studies from, from the article and based on things that I've looked up, they talked about like some of the research and based on the survey from GFK, Millennials are actually more likely to be overworkers than underworkers. Uh, they researched more than 5,000 full-time employees, and they found out that these four statements are true to the majority of millennials. Uh, one, no one else at my company can do the work while I'm away. Two, I want to show complete dedication to my company and job. Three, I don't want others to think I'm replaceable and then four and this is the one that hits me home more than anything because this is me I feel guilty for using my paid time off why do you as crazy as that fucking sounds why do you feel guilty for using your PTO because you work long hours at your job I know for sure so yeah don't you feel like you deserve that time off that is paid for the word deserves is a heavy word. I don't like don't that word. Don't you feel like you should but, utilize but was, what's given yes, to you? Yes, I, I, I definitely <laughs> feel like, yes. Um, I, I think a part of it is, I when I think about taking time off, I'm like, man, is everything going to fall apart when I'm away? Is it your fault if it does? But it, 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 that, that speaks to the other, that speaks to the first thing is no one else at my company can do work while I'm away. Whose fault is that? And it, No, but this is a structural... <laughs> I, I know what you're saying. Mm -hmm. I'm telling you just the thoughts. There is a structural issue there that could potentially come in, whether or not it, it's at my current company or other companies, blah, 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 blah. I'm not saying this is one company over other, but this is just my own internalization of things. 
when you talk about the stress, you're like, man, I don't know if anybody else is going to be capable of doing this in the same way that I'm able to do this. And I want to make sure that I don't put my company in peril. Not saying that in my current position that is the case, but I'm saying in general. And so because I have those feelings, I think those feelings come from a space that's different from just this job. I think those feelings derive from a place where I need to be consistently in control of things that I can't actually control. In my mind, when I'm on my job, although I'm in management, I don't actually control what's going to happen on a day-to-day basis. I feel like I can get ahead of things better. I feel like I can be the person that helps to organize and make sure that we put kind of guidelines and guardrails in place so that we don't tip one way or the other and we're never truly out of bounds and we at least stay the course. I, I can always do a good job of that. But if while I'm out, something was to happen and it would negatively impact the entire team and people lose their jobs, I would feel like I was the failure, even though it wasn't my fault. I can't. I don't know how to take that feeling away. So you care more about other people than you do yourself and your by well-being. A, by a mile. But don't you understand? You mile. can't take care of anything that you can do at work if you don't have that time to recharge or that time to to not feel burned out. Because if you're claiming that from what you do and the days that you have and, and, and what you have to tackle on a day-to-day basis, that it's so much that if you were to take a vacation or you, do, you were to take a day off just for your own sanity, that something could fall through the cracks and you're afraid of that happening, that just goes to show you are clearly burned out and you need to do something for yourself. And you can't, it's, it's almost like parents. It's like moms always say, I can't take care of anyone if I don't take care of myself, which is factual. If you don't take care of yourself, you can't do Jack Diddley squat. You really can't. It's funny because when I think about it, I think of, I don't want to, I don't have a, I don't feel guilty for taking my PTO. Um, It's there. I respect that. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not saying it to say, you know, no one else should, but this is just personally me. Like, I don't feel guilty for it. Um, I think that the the issue that I would have with PTO in my situation is whoever is covering me, there's going to be things that build up while I'm gone that aren't handled just because of the nature of how my clients reach out to me. And I don't want to have to deal with that first day back, which is catching up on everything that has not been done. Right. So mine is a little bit more selfish, I would mm-hmm. say. I would think that if you were to take a couple days off and things fell apart, that would only show your company how much you are needed and how much you are should be valued and how much you are. That would be my responsibility, though. I am the lead. Mm. So if that fell off, it's like the people that you have under you, then they're going to be like, oh, that person's incompetent, regardless of if they're not. And I don't think think that the people that I have under me are incompetent in any capacity. Then what are you afraid of? Um, That I don't have control, like I said. Like, at least when I'm around, I'm like, oh, I can dictate the pace of this. But well, I can get ahead of something. But they, if I'm not there and one wrong decision is made, that's how my job works. One wrong decision can... There's <laughs> millions of dollars in that wrong decision. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, shit, I wasn't there for that. I think that one of the things that she pointed out in her article was the fact that our generation is so tied to our jobs even after hours is another reason for our burnout. 
we have these phones that our emails are connected to that I, I want to call work phones leashes because that's what they are. That's your company basically saying to you, yeah, you're not here Monday through Friday, but on those Friday night, Saturday, Sunday hours, you are still connected and you should still be online and you should still be checking this. And Well, um, New York is going to have a new law, whereas it's illegal to ask employees to check their emails after 5 p.m. What if your company is paying for part of that phone service? It's illegal to ask somebody to do that. Mm. Now, if you do that on your own, that's you. But it's illegal to ask of an employee to do that. The fact that New York had to even come up with that law shows that it's happening more than it should. And it also shows that this is the reason why our generation is burning out. When we leave work, we can't even mentally leave work. Right. Avia, this client said something at 741. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Great. I mean, but you know that certain things are expected of you depending on where you work. And it's not a nine to five anymore. It's like, it's a nine to whatever. Because at any given time, something could happen. Um, I think that also because work trickles into our personal time, if we want to have a five to nine, meaning a side hustle, that impacts that. Yep. So you can't even have like a side hustle of something that where you're actually pursuing a passion or even if it's just getting more money or whatever the case is, you can't even really have that because your nine to five is trickling into that, which then puts more stress on you. I think the last thing I'm going to kind of say about this stuff is... I've always viewed our generation as getting shit for things that we don't necessarily need to get shit for. Like, I do feel like a lot is dumped on us. Like, I don't know if you've seen any of the articles. It's always saying something to the extent of millennials are the reason why this isn't happening anymore or this is being taken away or whatever. Um, Like... Millennials are the reason why retail stores don't exist anymore. They're for the decline in the ring industry, um, (laughs) for the decline in uh, fabric softener sales. I'm not joking. Like all these things, Mm -hmm. like there's articles about all this stuff. Mm. And I I push back on these things and I go, well, our generation is a lot more about efficiency than other generations. And we have a lot more information in front of us to make decisions against. And we also now are starting to find out slowly, but surely, uh, what it means to live in a capitalistic society and how to actually maneuver in it and still have our way, which is why companies like Facebook and Google, they try to impart uh, systems and values that say, you know, we care about employees' well-being when the truth is the fact that Google's placing, like, I don't know, gaming rooms and, like, sleeping caves and stuff like this into like their workspace tells you that yes they do care about worker health but they really just want you to stay there they want you to live there right they want to make their workplace better than your apartment and so (laughs) we as millennials have a decision to make what do we want our lives to be do we want to work to live or do we want to live to work do you think social media has any sort of impact on the the decisions that we make when it comes to work-life balance and choosing places that we work and what we do hell yeah you're if you have a certain job title and 
a certain company by your name, it means way more to say you work at Apple than it would ever mean to say you work at Macy's. Seriously. Mm-hmm. And Macy's is not even a bad fucking company. It's just, oh, clearly he's smart. He's at the tech firm that everybody wants to be at. You know, you got to be at Apple if you really want to be something special, which is ridiculous. Or if you were, it's just like if you were a model. If you were, you know, if you were a Ford model versus being maximum, <laughs> like, there's just two different levels to that. It's like, oh, I do, I, like, they would literally put that in their bio. Ford model, blah, 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 blah. Like, the people that put the name of their company in their bio tells you everything you need to know. You're like, oh, that. Oh, you be modeling, modeling. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> there was this quote, actually, I brought that up because there's this quote that I really enjoyed from the article. Um, and she said, posting on social media, after all, is a means of narrativizing our own lives. What we're telling ourselves our lives are like. And when we don't feel the satisfaction that we've been told we should receive from a good job that's quote unquote fulfilling, balanced with a personal life that's equally so, the best way to convince yourself you're feeling it is to illustrate it for others. Right. And she says all that to say, there's people out here that are, it's like a Bow Wow challenge. It's almost like I'm going to show you these parts of me because I want you to think that I'm cool and I have my shit together. And deep down, like, I didn't pay my last month's rent. Like, you know, it's just like I feel like everyone is on this keeping up with the Joneses tip. Yeah. And social media actually hinders that. It, it, it only perpetuates that stereotype of I need to be doing what XYZ person is doing that I follow because... They went to the same school as me and look at them now and they have it all together. Like they have kids and they have their own house and they have their own business. And I'm just in New York living in my one bedroom apartment single. You know, like it, it puts things into a certain perspective where those ideas of what your life should be like are really skewed. And we don't know people's lives. Like just because someone is married doesn't mean they're happy. Just because they have a house doesn't mean they have money. Like, we can't just look at a picture or look at a post or look at something that someone wants us to see and think that their life is only that. And I, I think that's, that's a major issue that our generation has to deal with that our parents would never, ever have to experience. So our parents kind of went through life without a microscope. They, they went through life without documentation of anything. Like, they could lose their job and no one would know or, you know, like, go through something and no one would know and move on from that. And us, it's like we, we know every single little thing about people we don't even know because of social media and what people choose to show and how people choose to show what they're doing. Um, I remember I was talking to someone... And I was showing them this influencer's page. It was Bachata, actually. <laughs> this girl that we call Bachata. She's an influencer. And the first thing he said was, wow, she's really into herself. Because, and I didn't realize it. I didn't realize what he was saying until he said it. He was like, wow, she's really into herself. I'm like, why do you say that? He was like, every picture, she's in every picture. Like, every picture is just her. Or it's her and one other person. Or it's her, whatever. But... She's in every picture. And 
Bachata, this is the name that Law and I call her. She is an influencer and she goes on all these amazing trips and she has this nice apartment in LA yeah. and she knows famous people Facts. and she gets paid to travel and she's always sponsoring something. Yeah. And it's just like, wow, damn, what am I doing with myself? You see people like that and you're like, damn, this person gets paid to use products and to go on trips. So there's a lot of things that play into social media that make us feel a certain way. And I feel like those feelings that we have are a catalyst for how we live our life. Someone could go into deep depression over something like that if you're not strong enough to handle it. I know friends that have taken social media breaks because they felt like their life was not at a point that they wanted it to be in. And all they saw on their timeline was like people just having the best life ever. Because no one's going to go on social media and post something sad all the time. So what what is what is your closing statements on that before we go into the the do's and the don'ts? I want to know what your closing because I have my closing statement, but I want to hear yours first. Uh, I would say that uh, people would assume that things are easier for our generation. They do because of the accessibility <laughs> that do. we have, right? Yes. So the way that I look at it, it's kind of like dating. People would assume that dating is a lot easier because you, you have more accessibility to people. You can swipe on them. You can DM them. They can DM you back. You can meet up. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is that accessibility creates more competition, more obvious competition. Oh. And when the competition is there, it's harder for you to do certain things. So like dating... You can get on Twitter, Tinder, Twitter. You can get Twitter. on, you can get on Tinder and swipe right, swipe left, go on a date, have an amazing time, and then that person does something wrong that you don't like, and you're like, whatever. Do you see how many thousands of people are on Tinder? I'll just find somebody else. Right. In the same way that an employer can go on Glassdoor, LinkedIn, um, the Muse, whatever site to find a candidate. Because there's, a, there's all this accessibility to finding people to do your job that you want to do. So that, that accessibility brings competition. And while that accessibility makes it seem like we have things easier, because now all we have to do is shoot out our resume through a, a, a website, things are more saturated now. And unfortunately, that makes things harder for us as millennials. We also live through a generation that's like, Nah, sleep is the cousin of death. Like, hustle hard. Like, work all day, every day. Team no sleep. And You're 100% so because we have these people that are peers and that are rappers and these people that hustle and grind and they're always just on it. We have these Diddy-like mentalities that are just saying, like, go, 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 go. We feel like we have to be like that. And there's nothing wrong with being like that, but at the point where it causes strife in your life, I feel like sometimes you just have to take a step back and just be like, everyone's path is different. And I think once we come to a point where we can accept that our path is different from the person who has X amount of degrees and is making less than you, or maybe once they get to that point where they can realize that, yeah. we can become more accepting of what we do have in our life and be more positive about the opportunities we do have and the opportunities we can create for ourselves and move through life in a more optimistic way. Here's my closing statement on it. I think when it comes to burnout, we don't realize that just because we don't have necessarily a high profile position 
or just because we're not necessarily uh, responsible for everything that we can't burn out. Uh, if you have the responsibility of handling the day-to-day -day task of any job, um, that along with you having to do the responsibility of someone else's job alone could be taxing. That along with the responsibility of potentially having a child could be a lot. That along with you needing to pay back college loans, uh, the loan for a car, uh, a mortgage, um, and all of these things can just trickle down to something that you just never quite get past. And let's say you are the one person out of your family, if you were a black person, for instance, that made it. And then people are asking you for things because you were the first person to make it. All of those things are burdens, not just burdens, but they things that sit on your shoulders and you feel like you have to carry all of it. And there is no amount of um, solo thought that'll probably get you through that. You need to start taking things mentally off of your plate. You have to adjust the way that you think about things and take every single task as just that one thing and not try to beat everything all at once. Because I think we get caught up in this thing where we have to have it all at once and we can't. That's not necessarily reality. And until we're able to balance what we personally want versus the reality of what people want us to want. Mm, that's real. We're never going to feel whole and we're always going to feel that burn. That's my two cents. Um, all right. We're going to end the show as we always do with the do's and the don'ts. Oh, she did good today. We don't even need a Bryson on that. <laughs> <laughs> so it's been a long time since we did do's and don'ts. And I want to start 2019 with a proper do. And then I'll let Avia end the show on a good don't. Um, so I'm talking to guys as I always do now as of lately. Guys, the first do of 2019. Do... Keep it to yourself. If you've had sex with a woman, that's between you and her, not the world. Oh. The game <laughs> recently just went out on a song and decided to snitch all of his business with the Kim K stuff. Kim K is a married woman and happily married to Kanye West. And nigga, you decided that you was going to be the person that was going to speak on his wife. You had to say that you put your dick down her and then Down you push your throat <laughs> you grabbed her throat why did you need to do all Ooh, that why did you need this? to say all that is this in a song all, or yes just all said, unnecessary Ooh. it was a song that was leaked i heard something about the exact lyric went i held kim kardashian by her throat i made her swallow my kids until she choked is that ever necessary to say about a married woman no now i want to end this by saying there was a woman on twitter that got i want to say somewhere around 30,000 retweets for saying this. And I can't, I wow. couldn't have said this shit better than what wow. she said. She said, have you noticed how normal it is for men to feel powerful for having past long forgotten sexual encounters with women? Bringing it up constantly, almost as if men are emotionally attached to women they have sex with while women are quick to move on and even regret the sex. And just so we're clear, feeling pride that you smashed or still beat is an emotion. 
So it is really a wonder how many men dilute themselves into believing they are not emotionally connected to women they have sex with. Y'all are connected to an embarrassing degree. Just let it go. I could not have possibly said that shit better than she said it. So when I said all of that, guys, to say, do keep this shit to your motherfucking self. If y'all have sex, that's what y'all did. Y'all had sex. That's it. I didn't know we were speaking to our own genders this time around. So my don't is for guys. Well, you can go in there. Go on. <laughs> guys, this is all for you. <laughs> go on. Um, let me see. I wonder if I could switch this, flip this in a way for, for women. Okay, let me flip this in a way for women. Women, if you meet a man and he tells you that he was married, and his marriage ended recently, or he's in the process of getting the divorce, don't expect too much from him. No matter how much you like this guy, don't, don't expect too much from the situation. Um, I think that sometimes women get into these situations with men that are recently divorced or in the verge of the, the, the divorce or in the brink or whatever the case is, and they attach themselves to men who are not emotionally available. And just because the man is the reason why the divorce happened, meaning he decided to divorce, to divorce his wife, does not mean that he is now emotionally available enough to be your man. Um, so I would say don't jump all in to a relationship situation with someone like that. Uh, tread lightly. And it'll save everyone a lot of time and heartbreak. Whew. And that is it. And just like that, you can catch us zen, on... Zen. That's not the same. I know. I missed, I, I, missed missed our song. I missed our song. <laughs> <laughs> you can catch us on SoundCloud, Google Play, the Apple iTunes Store, and of course on Instagram. Good night. Buenos noches.